0: hi everyone hope you're doing well this morning my name is Todd I'm the lead pastor and uh, I'm glad you're here thanks for being here Um, I told the uh, 930 crowd that I would report that they were robust and energetic so I'm expecting the same thing from you all right a little challenge there that's fun. all right I'm glad that you're here. Uh, If you're listening via our podcast, we're glad that you're with us uh, as well. Uh, When you came in, you might have received a uh, worship notes, but I think we also had so many people in both services that we may have run out today. Don't worry, you can get online with your device, you know, tablet, you know, iPhone, whatever, and you can get those uh, notes there on our website under the resource page, or uh, if you have a Apple device, you can download our app, which is free, and we have free Wi-Fi at the guest Wi-Fi. I'm so glad that you can do that. So that's good stuff. Um, How many of you had a week? You know what I mean? A week? You know what I mean, right? I'm just asking you to raise your hand because I want to make sure that there was at least someone with me. All right, so um, I know that I've had a week. I'm sure some of you have had a week. So why don't we, before we dive in, ask for God to help us so that we can focus on him and his word. Will you join me in a word of prayer this morning? Um, God, thank you for uh, your love. We thank you for your grace. And God, I thank you that you redeemed us through your son, Jesus. As we just sang about God. And that you were willing to come to this earth to save us from our sins. And God, that's why we do what we do. That's why we meet here. We give you the praise and the glory and the honor for doing what you did on the cross. God, we also thank you for your attributes. You're so wonderful. You're loving. You're caring. God, you're merciful. You're great. You're all-knowing. You're all-powerful. And God, we just thank you for those attributes. And Holy Spirit, today as we dive into your word, I pray that you would guide us into wisdom, into knowledge, and understanding. And may you teach us what you want to teach us today. God, even if we've had one of those weeks, God, I pray that you would allow us to be able to be focused on what you want to say to us today. You pierce our hearts, and God, as we discover what roles and what responsibilities and practices we as parents and children should have in the family, I pray that you would teach us from your word. God, we love you so much, and we thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before I dive in, I want to give just a little bit of background. Uh, For those of you who maybe weren't here last week, uh, we kicked off a brand new series called This Is My Family, and we began last week with just some foundational elements from God's Word, as we often do in our series. We go right to God's Word to find out what he says about a particular issue, whatever we're talking about. So we began with some of those elements. We're going to kind of continue in that theme today. And then next week, we're going to be addressing some very specific issues that uh, I'm sure will be applicable to many of you. Uh, Cody and I will be. And then uh, next week, Cynthia and I will be addressing some other issues. And uh, we have a very special guest, Diane Pierce, who will be here in a few weeks um, to walk you through some things. Last week, we began with this... Idea that God designed the family a certain way. And, and we said from, from Scripture, we make no uncertain terms about the fact that God designed the family to begin with a covenant through marriage between one man and one woman, and that marriage is the centerpiece of the family. We also discuss the fact that God designed the family to be the place or the beginning or the primary place where faith can be expressed. Faith in God through Jesus can be expressed. And that that should be the centerpiece of where faith is expressed. So you've got the family unit that begins with a marriage between one man and one woman. And then that is the centerpiece of where faith in God should be expressed. We talked about how the nuclear family, that kind of mom and dad and one or more kids, is the family structure that God designed. But we also talked about the fact that many of you, many of us are in families or maybe from families that look nothing like God designed. And we talked about the fact that God's grace will see us through that. And so there is God's design on one hand and then our current situation on the other. And we talked about how the balance, when those are imbalanced, the balance between those two is God's grace. Well, I want to just be clear on that grace and kind of, I guess, as kind of a disclaimer or maybe clarification from last week. I want to make sure that you understand that really uh, what I was talking about, about God's grace. You see, there's kind of two parts to God's grace. There's the grace that he showed, as I just prayed about, that uh, he sent Jesus, his son, to die for our sins. And if we put our faith in him, that our, our sins um, are covered by what Jesus did on the cross. And that's the saving grace of God. And so if you're in here today and you've put your trust in Jesus, you put your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation, you have God's grace that you will spend eternity in heaven with him. And if you haven't done that, I pray that you do. I pray that you come to that place where you put your trust in Jesus Christ, God's one and only Son who came to die for our sins. That's the God-man story. And so that's one side of God's grace. The grace that I was talking about last week and that we'll continue to talk about throughout this series is the grace that God gives each one of us to go through life when His design or His best doesn't exactly equal our circumstances. And let's face it. Regardless of what the issue is, that's often the case. There's often an imbalance between God's design and our circumstances. And that's kind of the whole premise that we're talking about today. But I want to clarify that kind of grace, because I think that maybe some of you might have interpreted that as this is like God's get-out-of-jail-free card. And that's just not the case. God's grace is that He will see you through through your current circumstance, not that he's going to remove you from your current circumstance. You see, God's grace isn't something, God's grace to see you through something isn't going to be the thing that gets you out of what you've done. No, 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 I got away with it. It's that he will see you through that situation. I wanted to make that distinction because some of you are facing the earthly consequences of things that you've done in your life Or maybe that someone else has done that you're having to live with. God's grace can and will get you through that. But he won't necessarily pluck you out of that. So he'll see you through that situation, but he won't necessarily pull you all the way out of that. And so I want to say that today as an encouragement. I also want to give an example that I've given before, and I hope that this helps. Uh, A number of years ago in my own family, um, I made some very poor financial decisions. And some of you have heard this story. They were not good decisions, and uh, they were not illegal or immoral, but they were not good decisions for our family. And then I made some more decisions to try to protect my wife from it. You know what that's called? Lying. So anyway, and so I tried to protect Cynthia from those decisions and I made things worse. That's how sin goes. We usually make things worse when we try to cover our sin. Well, the earthly consequence of that was we had a mess on our hands and we've pressed, we're have pressing through that each and every day and the light's at the end of the tunnel for us and, and we're excited about the future and that kind of thing. But we had to deal with the earthly consequences. I didn't get a get-out-of-jail-free card in terms of the consequence of what I did and the decisions that I made, nor did Cynthia, my wife, nor was she able to be removed from that. But God has given us grace to push through that situation both in our marriage and in our family. And so that's the type of grace that we're going to be talking about all throughout this series. And I just wanted to make mention of that this morning. We talked about the family, kind of that nuclear family. And then we talked about the fact that our families don't necessarily look like that for a variety of reasons. And some of you may have experienced that as a child where you came from a broken family or maybe a blended family. Some of you have experienced it in your own marriage. And some of you are in the middle of it right now. You're in the middle of trying to figure some of those things out. We will address some of those very specific issues in next week's message today is more foundational and today what I want to do is go to God's word to establish what mom's and dad's and kids are supposed to be doing in terms of the whole family. Last week, kind of the disclaimer that I gave was it was kind of like a PG-11 message and it's gonna be that way in the weeks to come. Today, all you guys, all you kids who are in here, you need to hear this message, I promise you, and there'll be a lot of elbows, okay? So you're gonna be doing this to your mom and dad and they're gonna be doing this to you and we're gonna have a fun time. Take your notes this morning or if you have it on your device, you can take that. We're gonna dive right in this morning. I wanna establish what some of the practices are for moms and dads and kids via some questions. The first question is, what are the key responsibilities should a father practice according to the Bible? What key responsibilities should a father practice according to the Bible? Now, I use the word practice um, for a specific reason. We could have used roles, we could have used goals, we could have used duty or task. You know, what are the tasks or the duties of a dad? Um, the reason that I like the word practice is it's something that I don't know about you, moms and dads and kids, if God's word says it, sometimes I need to repeat it and keep practicing it. And so we use the word practice. What kind of key responsibilities should a father practice according to God's word? Again, this is God's design for dads. Take a look at the first one. First of all, he should love his children. He should love his children. First and foremost, as a foundational piece, is dads should love their kids. I mean, this is foundational. You may kind of go, well, yeah, of course, Todd. But sometimes, dads, we forget about this, don't we? And we forget about this element. The Bible says this, the psalmist said this in Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father shows compassion to to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Now, it's interesting that the psalmist said it this way, because what he's doing is essentially using fatherhood to describe God's love for us. Isn't that interesting? He's making an assumption about dads that dads do love their kids. And the father's love, he's trying to describe through describing how a dad loves his children. And so dads, we can insert the word love for compassion, kind of the same concept there. A father shows compassion or love to his children. Now dads, let's face it. Kids, let's face it. Students, let's face it. You don't always do things that make us as dads want to love you. Okay, let's just get that right on the table. Am I right? Students, am I right, dads? We just don't always do that. And so there are times when the current circumstance of what you've done, I'm not going to point out any people in here, but what you've done doesn't kind of lead us to want to love you. But fathers, regardless of the circumstance, we have a responsibility to love our children always. And I know that there are some of you who are dads in here, and part of the reason that this basic principle is difficult for you is because maybe you grew up in a family where your dad did not demonstrate love to you. I understand that. I get that. I was fortunate enough to have a dad that showed that kind of love, but some of you grew up in homes that for generations there was a cycle of not demonstrating love to the children. And I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you with this. If you're a father who's in here and you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you grew up in a home like that, here's my challenge to you. It's time to stop the cycle. It's time to say, I'm the generation that that stops and I am going to make a stand and I'm going to love my children. Unconditional love. That's the kind of love. That God showed us and so my challenge to you is if you have a hard time with that think of what God did through Jesus for you that's the kind of love that we need to demonstrate with our children there's a flip side of the coin and it's a second point and that is is that dad's fathers are supposed to discipline his children oh boy here we go here comes the discipline word the dreaded d word Dads, we have a responsibility to discipline our children. And I believe, personally, that this is where we should lead in our families. Does it mean that we always carry a big stick? No. Absolutely not. Does it mean we're always the enforcers of the rules? No. Facts are is that mom may be with the kids more than dads are. And so, take a look at what Solomon said, the wise one, in Proverbs twelve twenty four. He says this, Whoever spares the rod, we all know this verse, hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to disappoint him. Do you see how the first is connected to the second? See, here's, here's the deal. Students and kids who are in here, When you feel pressed in on because your dad or even your mom, we'll get to moms in a moment on the discipline issue, when you feel pressed in on or where you think that, you know, you don't deserve the punishment that you are given right now in this current circumstance, it is because your parent loves you that you're being disciplined. My my mom used to say, Todd, the reason that you get in trouble is because God loves you and he is seeking after you. And if you do something stupid, he is going to discipline you. It's the same thing with God's love. He loves you, therefore he disciplines you. It's the same thing with dads. We ought to love and we ought to discipline our children. But there's a third thing here and I want to get to this. We are also to instruct our children. We're also to instruct our children. Now, if we're really honest in here, the first one we probably can get our hearts and our minds around. The second one, most dads, that comes fairly easy, too. You know, I I can discipline my kids. But this one, for most dads, is the most difficult one, that we are to instruct our children. What does that mean? We kind of hit on this briefly last week. Take a look at what the psalmist writes in Psalm 78, 2, through eight, I want to take a look at this whole passage. I think it's a very important passage for dads and for moms in terms of instructing our children. Because I think our version of what instruction is is different than what God's design is. Second verse of Psalm 78 says this, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. But tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. He's basically referring to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Israelites, the Jewish people. He commanded our fathers to teach their children. That the next generation might know them, talking about the the laws and and the words of God. The children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children. What he's doing is he's painting a picture that we as dads have a responsibility to take the faith walk that we have and pass that down to the next generation and encourage our sons and daughters to pass it down to the next generation. And that way there's a cycle of expressing the glory of God and, and talking about God and His might and His wonders. Verse 7, so they should set their hope in God. That's the purpose, that our children should put their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. Verse 8 says, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. You see, here's, here's what that says. And I know when you read that, you're like, okay, wait a minute. This was David. This was the guy that like, was the shepherd. And he had the harp. And he wrote poetry. And I'm not that kind of dad. I'm a man's man. You know, I don't think I can do this. You know what it, the psalmist is saying here? It's this. Tell your children about the goodness of God in your own life. Tell Your children about the goodness of God in your own family. Tell your children about how God has led and how He's provided and what the struggles are and how you saw God work. And here's my challenge to you if you're in here today and you're like, man, I'm not seeing it, I don't want to see it. My challenge to some of you dads is ask God's Holy Spirit to work in your life. Maybe there needs to be a change. In your life. For some of you dads, maybe that starts today by going down to Caligny and being baptized in the Atlantic Ocean. Maybe it's a fresh start. Maybe you asked Jesus to be your Savior years ago and you've never made that next next step to be baptized publicly. Maybe today is the day that you do that. You don't have to be a theologian to tell your children about the great things that God has done. You don't have to know the meaning of sanctification and justification and all the ins and outs of the works of the Holy Spirit. All you have to do is express to them how God has worked in your life and in the life of your family. Let's take a look at moms. What are key responsibilities a mother should practice according to the Bible? The first thing is to care for her children. Luke 2, 48. I love this passage. There's a great passage of Scripture. It's kind of like home alone meets Jesus' family. Okay, it's Mary and Joseph and Jesus, they were in the temple. Jesus was a young child, and somewhere in the midst of, you know, maybe after the service was over, kind of like, you know, they're busy, Jesus, as a child, went up to the pastor and was, like, arguing with them about what he had said, Okay. I guess I'm opening myself up here for this. But anyway, so Jesus goes to the teachers, and he starts arguing with them. He starts talking to them about the scripture. And because Jesus was, you know, God's son, he was right. And so all of a sudden, Mary and Joseph, they're about ready to go, and they leave. And I'm sure the conversation went something like this. Mary says to Joseph, hey, did you get Jesus? (laughs) Joseph's like, no, I thought you had him. She's like, I don't have him. He must be back at church. They left Jesus at church. And I love what happens here. Luke 2, 48. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. I bet he was taking those teachers and those rabbis to task. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching in great distress. Distress. Do you see the mom, do you see Mary there caring for her son, Jesus? I mean, this is God's son. She didn't have to. He would have been fine. But she cared for Jesus. Mom, just like the dads ought to love the kids, part of your role, part of the practice, part of the responsibility is that you care for your children. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you do everything for them. How many of you have heard of a helicopter parent? I've heard of a helicopter parent. You know why? I have the tendency to be one. A helicopter, you know a helicopter, have you ever seen a helicopter come down? A helicopter makes a mess of things, doesn't it? A helicopter parent swoops in on the kids and whatever chaos is going on, usually they make more chaotic. And a helicopter parent is the one who when Johnny drops a crumb they make sure it doesn't hit the floor. And if it does hit the floor, they make sure it doesn't go back into Johnny's mouth. And a helicopter parent makes sure that their middle school or their teenager has everything taken care of them and they get to college and they don't know what to do. That is not what I'm talking about. I just want to be clear, that's not what I'm talking about. And I know that because I'm a helicopter parent. Caring for your son or daughter, mom, means that you... Make sure that necessities of life are taken care of for them when they're young. But you also, as they grow up, train them and teach them how to care for themselves. I saw it this week. Cynthia and I and the kids went on a bike ride. Now, I had not been on a bike ride with the family in a while. They've been practicing bike riding at six and three. That's not an easy task. And we got up to a yield sign, and my natural reaction was to go, hey, stop. You know, I wanted to grab the back of the bike. And Cynthia gently said, they're going to be fine. They're going to be okay. She was speaking to the helicopter parent here. She said, they're going to be fine. I've trained them to take care of themselves. That's what caring for your children is, mom and dad. And it's part of the responsibility of the mom to care. The second thing is just like the dad. It's to discipline her children. It's to discipline her children. Take a look at Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. You see, there the writer of Proverbs connects the idea of discipline to moms. Moms, you come alongside dads and you help discipline. And that's part of our role as a parent. I want to say this. This is a team responsibility in parenting. And I get it. There are some of you who, like me, I'm not the best disciplinarian in the world. Cynthia is probably... Leans more towards that. But you know what? Just because it's not naturally my thing doesn't mean that I abdicate that responsibility. We'd work on it together and we agree on things together and we lead our families together. And then finally, she teaches her children, just like the dad is supposed to instruct his children. Proverbs 1 8 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. You know, it's interesting. In our home, you know who the kids always go to when they're in need? Mom. You know who the kids always go to when there's blood? Mom. You know when the kids, who the kids go to when there's something that they don't have that they need? Mom. You moms hold a special place in your child's heart. It's your responsibility to care for them, to discipline them along with dad, And also to teach them along with dad. It's a team effort in many of these things. Now, students and children, you have a responsibility in the home too. Are you ready? Get ready to be elbowed by mom and dad here. Here we go. Number three, what key responsibilities should a child practice according to the Bible? Two things. I made it real easy for you. Two things. First of all, honor your parents. A child should practice honoring their parents right at the beginning of the Bible in Exodus When God gave the Ten Commandments, one of the commandments was this honor your father and mother, from Exodus 20, verse 12, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. Now, there are two types of honor in the Bible there's the honor that somebody would receive because they were born into the right family, that was an inherited honor. Jesus had an inherited honor because he was born to the line of King David, so he had royalty. And so Jesus was born and he had an inheritance of being royalty. The type of honor that we're talking about here is actually an earned type of honor. To honor your mom and dad, kids and and students and teenagers is that you bring them joy and that they are proud of you, not because of behavior, but because of the choices that you make in your life. You bring them honor when you make choices that match the values that have been set up in your family. Are you with me, students and teenagers and kids? Because you are going to be making choices. If you're 10 or 11 or beyond, you are going to have plenty of opportunity in the coming years to make choices that will either honor or dishonor your parents. The Bible says that God's design is is that you honor your parents. And then the second thing is that you obey their parents. Yep, that's the word. Obey your parents. Colossians 3.20 says, Children, obey your parents for in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, Paul, it's interesting. Paul, in his book, he repeats this whole thing. In Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, he says this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the commandment with a promise Number three, that it may go, verse three, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. I wanna say something to kids and teenagers and students in here. Obeying your parents is not always easy, is it? Sometimes, (laughs) that was great. I got a big old no right over here from our middle school students. It is not always easy. Sometimes it's never easy. But here's my challenge to you as a child and as a student, And as a teenager, if you learn to honor and obey your parents, when you're an adult, it'll be easier to listen and submit to the heart of God. If you learn now what it means to honor and obey your parents, when you're an adult, it'll be easier to listen to and to submit to the heart of God. It doesn't mean that life will be perfect but it means that it'll be easier to listen and submit to the heart of God. Practice it now, not just for your parents' sanity, but for your own spiritual well-being as you get older, honor, and obey. I want to end today with some house rules that Cynthia and I have talked about that we've implemented over the years. They may, weren't necessarily in this form when we started, but we kind of put form to the function that we had been doing in our family. And I hope that this will be very practical in nature for many of you. House rules for parents. Here we go. Number one, as we close today, we need to realize, parents, that everyone is under the authority of God. Everyone, everyone, everyone is under the authority of God, even parents. Parents. You see, we as parents like to think that we're judge, jury, and executioner when it comes to our kids. And we must start. Listen, we've got to start with this as the premise. This is point number one. If we don't get this, then we're going to be on shaky ground with the other three. That we are under the authority of God. Paul, when he's writing his letter to the church in Rome, says in Romans 13.1, says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from who? God. And those that exist have been instituted by who? God. You see, mom and dad, you are under authority. And so if you do discipline and if you correct and if you punish and you're out from under the authority of god you're on shaky ground it's a very dangerous place to be it leads me to the second point building a relationship with your child gives credibility to your authority to set rules building a relationship with your child gives credibility to your authority to set rules have you ever heard of the old adage people don't know how much you care Know how much you know until they know how much you care. That applies to moms and dads. Your kids don't care how much you know until they know that they're cared for by you. And so if you want to be able to set rules and you want the credibility for them to abide by them, first and foremost, build a relationship. It doesn't mean being their best friend, but it does mean that you have a relationship with your kids. Romans 12.3 says this, For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself or herself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Most of you have already found out this if you're parents already. There's a tremendous amount of humility that it takes to be a mom and a dad. A tremendous amount of humility. And God will use your humble heart. To help your family humility goes a long way with setting up and enforcing and keeping rules that you have in the house Look at Colossians three twenty through 23 children obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord Read that again kids teenagers and students and then skip over 21 because I don't like verse 21 fathers Don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged Sydney, my little six-year-old, she learned that in her Bible, Bible class and uh, in uh, our homeschool situation. And so she says this to me this week, very sweetly, like she has this little sweet voice. She goes, children, obey your parents. And then she says it like this, fathers, don't exa- exasperate your children. And she says it with gusto, because she knows I like to get her. And when I do, I make her mad, so I need to be careful of that. Moms and dads, you're not called to be your child's best friend, but you are They're parents. And you are supposed to have a relationship before rules. It'll make parenting so much easier as time goes on. Number three, when discipline is required, and it will be, the, the purpose should be clear and without excessive emotion. The purpose should be clear and without excessive emotion. My parents modeled this so well for me. I remember when I was a kid and I got in trouble, I did something in my house um, to cause my dad to not be honored. Um, He would call me and tell me to go to my room. And I have now realized that the reason he sent me to my room was for him to calm down. (laughs) And so he would send me to my room and then he'd come into my room and he would calmly sit down and explain what I did that was wrong. And then I would receive the punishment at, you know, under the age of six. It was usually some sort of you know, spanking or something like that. And then he would hold me and he'd wrap me in his arms and he'd tell me again why he punished me. And he said, Todd, I love you. I love you. He set a great example. I, he said an excellent example of what discipline should be. It should be clear and void of emotion. Parents, we all have had times when the emotion just you know, bubbles up and it gets out of control. It's a natural reaction. In fact, take a look at what Ephesians says about this, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. This is from the message. I love this. He says this, Paul, go ahead, be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life life parents maybe the worst thing that we can do is discipline out of anger we need to discipline clearly let your yes be yes and your no be no james five twelve says but do it in a way that is void of emotion and finally everyone including parents should be willing to ask for forgiveness Whew. that's a tough one isn't it moms and dads Everyone, including parents, should be willing to ask for forgiveness. Colossians 3.13 says, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Parents, students, teenagers, kids in here, moms and dads, we're going to mess up. We're not perfect. That's why we have to be under God's authorities, because we're not perfect. There are going to be times when we do things that aren't right. There are going to be times that we let anger get out of control. There are going to be times when we're not right. Parents, we need to be willing to say I'm sorry. I remember, I guess about three years ago, Cynthia was six and Sean was three. And Cynthia and I and the whole household had had a really bad Saturday night. And as a pastor, you got to understand, if you're going to have a bad day of the week, it's going to be Saturday and Sunday. It just is. I mean, you guys have probably experienced this on how many many times you have a family argument on the way to church. And so we had had a really bad Saturday night. Mom and dad had had a bad Saturday night. Mom and son, mom and daughter, dad and daughter, dad and son. It was just a bad night. And we kind of went to bed a little bit like, you know, discombobulated at saying the very least. And Cynthia and I both woke up the next morning and we just thought, you know, we've got to do something about this. And so we went to church. We went out to eat at Asia Bistro down the road here and we decided that we needed to have just a little chat. And Cynthia and I both said, hey, Sean and Sidney, um, we're sorry. You know, what happened last night was unacceptable in a house. And mom and dad were mad at each other and we were frustrated with y'all. And we're sorry. We just want to let you know that we... Are sorry. And so Cynthia said to Sydney, who was six at the time, she said, Hey, listen, when you, when you do something wrong in the house, there's a punishment that you have. So we're going to let you determine what the punishment is for mom and dad. And Sydney goes, Give me a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> so we had to cough up a couple bucks for Sydney on the punishment. It's amazing what can happen in a home when you, as parents, demonstrate forgiveness. Are you with me? When you demonstrate forgiveness, it's amazing what can happen in a home. Come under the authority of God. Don't punish in anger. Have relationship before rules and be willing to ask for forgiveness. It's amazing what would happen in our church and in our lives if we as parents And you as children learn to do what God's design is. If you're in here today and you're a single mom or you're a single dad, and you say, I don't have help in this, I want to speak to you for a moment. You you can have help because God the Father and the Holy Spirit can help you. That's where his grace comes in. And so if you're here today and you don't have a, a... Spouse who is with you on this, my prayer for you is that His grace will see you through that situation. If you're in here today and you don't have children yet, just remember these things because one day you can use them and you can put them into practice. It'd be amazing what we did as a church if we put these things into practice. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much that your word is clear on what the responsibilities and the practices of a mom and dad should be. The responsibilities of a child, a student, a teenager should be. And Father God, I pray that we, your people, um, would do our best in our current circumstance to follow your design for our families And God, I pray that you would give grace to all of us because all of us are sinful and none of us have the perfect design. God, I pray that you would help us in those areas where we're weak. God, in those areas where we fall and in those areas where we fail, Father God, I pray that you would help us through those areas. God, I pray that you would help moms and dads to be loving and caring. I pray that you would help moms and dads to be disciplinarians, to be strong and have this uh, loving strength with their children. And God, I pray you would help us to teach and instruct, not for head knowledge, but God, I pray that we would be willing to share with our families what you're doing in our lives. And God, I pray that our families are better because we follow your design for our families. Help us, God. Help fill in the gaps and help us to be committed to these things. In Jesus' name I pray.